Shalom everyone, this is Shomer Man coming at you with the Midnight Torah Study for Parsha Re'eh. Tonight we're going to focus on the concept of being, or Slika, the actuality, reality, fact, truth, the pretty much get you some of being children of God. So, that is our focus tonight, and without further ado, let's get into the opening bracha. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bakarbanu mikol hamim, venatan lanu et torato. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha-torah, amen. Amen, Adonai, may you bind us to the Lapid Mashiach Yeshua, and may you grant us eyes to see. Amen. So, uh, I want to start off with some Orchards of Delights on this week's Torah portion. This is Rabbi Trugman. Uh, he seems so gentle, so like chesed, and then all of a sudden he sweeps the leg. So, everybody uh, suit up. Here we go. So, first of all, I'm going to start with... Coming into this week's Torah portion, we're seeing the word re'e, which means to see. And again, we went into the fact that the way you see is by hearing. And then through your hearing and observing the mitzvot and really going through all the challenges and all the struggles, you begin to see. And so um, the earlier podcast from this week called Struggling, I went into all of that, and while I'm talking about earlier podcasts, quick swerve, shout out to Ish Pela for Telling 51, just pretty much a get you some on that, so if you get the opportunity, please check that out, this guy is just, he went absolutely crazy with what he shared from Telling, so uh, as we're heading into Rosh Hodesh Elul, into the 40 days of Shuva, culminating with Yom Kippur, you know, uh, that is something to get you ready. So, Baruch Hashem. So now, back to orchards, back to Re'e, back to seeing. This is a section actually called Seeing with Mashiach Eyes. So, when you think about the fact of it says, Seeing with Mashiach Eyes, what does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, I brought it up, I know. But what it means to see with Mashiach eyes is to possess the keen prophetic sight that enables one to see the whole forest and not just the individual trees. Our sages taught that the wise person is one who sees that which is born. Tamid 32a a wise person discerns all the potential consequences of his actions to attain the level of introspection necessary to succeed in the month of Elul, one must strive to activate this type of sight. So really getting into the crux of what is the meaning of life really is what having Mashiach's eyes are like. So if you have Messiah eyesight, if you have this understanding that you're able to see beyond what is visible to our human eye, 
I'm going to go back up here to this first paragraph. It says, our blessings and cursings are our blessings and curses really visible to the naked eye at times blessings and curses in our lives seem so clear that we can answer this question in the affirmative at other times though what at first seemed like a blessing turns out to be quite the opposite while what at first appeared to be a curse turns out to be a blessing in disguise both scenarios present themselves quite frequently so in other words, if you're able to see through that, you know, and, and really get down into looking at the whole forest, if you will, for um, very metaphorically speaking, because there are a lot of trees, there's a lot of circumstances, there's a lot of challenges that you have in your life. But if you're able to really zoom out and look at the whole picture then that's what seeing with Mashiach eyes really is all about. And so this will kind of help with the idea that the Chazal bring down in this week's parasha about how Hashem actually concealed the greater blessings and the curses of the Torah. And so, you know, you kind of see things that seem like they're, this doesn't seem right. This is not good. This is actually way more challenging than I would really prefer and like for it to be. And it's like, great, because I'm really trying to bless you right here. So if you endure this challenge, if you endure this trial, you'll actually see that this is actually a blessing, which takes us into this wonderful phrase, Gamzu Leitova. So Gamzule Tova is, this is also for the good. This too is for the good. And we know from Romans that it is taught basically by Shaul that Hashem uses everything to the good of those who love him. Let me give you that verse real quick. All right. So basically Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so if you think about the fact that God is working for the good, you know, Gamzule Tova, even though this may seem like a very painful hardship, it's like, it's okay, Hashem is, he's, Bezrat Hashem, he's working the good, you know. And so we have to have that faith. Well, getting ahead of myself here because I can just read Trugman and put this so beautifully. So here's what he says. He says, basically, in the early or Slika, he says, we discussed in the portion of Etkanan why the Torah only reveals the Shema after God denies Moshe's or Moshe permission to enter the promised land. We, we suggested that sometimes our knowledge of and faith in God is strengthened precisely through hardships or crisis. This message is hinted at in a remez found in Re'e as well. The initial letters of the Hebrew words for blessing, which is baraka, and curse, which is kelala, which you would have a bet and a kuf. Okay, bet and kuf. The numerical value of 102, okay, bet is 2, kuf is 100, add that together, that's 102, 
This is the same numerical value for the Hebrew word emunah, which is faith-filled faithfulness and belief. And it says true faith, true emunah, from realizing that God is the source of all things, even those things that appear to be curses. That is why the Talmud instructs us to bless both the good and what initially appears to be bad. That's Barakote 54a. Just to do a quick swerve on that, you know, when someone passes away, the uh, phrase to say is, or the bracha actually, slika, not phrase, the bracha, the blessing one should recite upon hearing bad news is Baruch Diane Amet. And that may seem like very contrary to how uh, one would think to respond because if someone tells you that, you know, their loved one passed away or if your loved one passes away, you know, it's my condolences. I'm so sorry to hear that, you know, and, and things like that. May Hashem provide comfort. But it's like, no, even more so we should bless Hashem because how can we accept the good from him? Which, by the way, most of the times when we say, how can we accept the good from him and not the bad? When we think of good, we think of good according to our filters, not good according to what Hashem really decides and what he deciphers and defines as good. And so to go all the way back to the bare sheet about the the fruit from the knowledge of good and evil, the fruit of that tree, you know, the adversary, Hasatan, the serpent, basically was saying that God doesn't want us to eat from that tree because he doesn't want us to be like him. Well, the only problem with that is, is if we think about Hashem knowing and having knowledge of what's good and what's evil, He's able to have that from himself. What do I mean by that? I mean, basically, his word shows us what's good. His word shows us what's evil. It's not opinion, you know. And the thing is, with us as human beings, especially having a sin nature, we mostly perceive good and bad through opinion and not really through the word of Hashem. Which is why eating from that tree was so horrible and so detrimental to us. And to understand that Hashem, what he says is good, is truly good. And what he says is evil, is truly evil. And we have to defer to him for that. Which, by the way, if we are subjugating ourselves to Hashem, we are in a sense spitting out the fruit. You know, we are neglecting our Yetzirah, which tells us to do otherwise. So it's just one of those things when you think about saying Baruch Diana met, blessed is blessed be he, the true judge, blessed be God, the true judge, basically is what that means. And it's just like, wow, someone just passed away. And that's what you're going to say. It's like, yes, because Hashem is the one who is truly the one who knows at every moment in every given time, you know, what should happen and how things should work out. And so when someone passes away, it is within Hashem's will for that time to occur. You know, we all have a set time. 
You know, this is why we're exhorted uh, in Tehillim to number our days. You know, teach man to number his days. All right, let me give you the source on that, so stand by. That is Tehillim 90, verse 12. And boy, I'm so glad I did not pull the green book out because I'm pretty sure it's going to be some craziness in there. But it says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You know, if we would just gain a heart of wisdom, that would be absolutely incredible. And what would be a heart of wisdom? Literally, Lev Chokmah. What section of the Bible begins with a bet and ends with a lev, or Slika ends with a lamed, which bet and lamed, when you spell it out, bet lamed, reverse that, which is lamed bet, that is the word for heart, and then the first and last letter of the Torah is bet and lamed, which backwards to forwards is lamed bet, which is heart. And so literally, the Torah being called wisdom, so a lev chokmah, a heart of wisdom, you know, you're basically saying, you know, may we gain Torah, may we grow in Torah. Looking at the interlinear of Tehillim 90, basically says, ve navi levav chokmah. And the word navi is, is very interesting because it is very close to uh, Navi like prophet as far as the phonetic sound of it, which you think about hearkening to a prophet is hearkening to the words of Hashem, which is why one who calls himself a prophet, Bezrat Hashem, they don't do that very lightly because in order to be a prophet, you need to be completely nullified of your own ego. Again, you have to be completely subjugated. You know, because as a prophet, you're uh, illustrating and modeling literally the will of Hashem. And so this is why it's important for us to understand Yeshayahu, Yermiyahu, Haggai, Micha, Malchi, Daniel, uh, and so on and so forth, Ovidyah, like all these guys, you know, they weren't just, you know, speaking out of the sides of their neck. You know, they were completely like, this is what Hashem said, and this is what I must share. This is what I must do, you know, especially Yehezekiel, because you think about the fact that, number one, what got me the most about Yehezekiel is when Hashem said, all right, here's, here's the game plan. I'm going to kill your wife. And you're not going to be allowed to mourn in public. And this shall be a sign for Yisrael. It's just like, wait, wait, wait. Everything was cool. Like, okay, it was a little challenging to lay on my side for like almost a year or a little over a year and just kind of eat, you know, uh, interesting foods and, and whatnot and ways of preparing food and playing with clay in my front yard and having my tongue not work and then when it was time for me to speak, my tongue would all of a sudden work. But now you want to, just for the sake of giving a picture and an example to the nation, you want me to not mourn when you kill my wife. Again, Hashem, the true judge here, is taking his wife away uh, at a specific point in time, like she's going to pass away. And Yehezekiel is not going to be able to mourn for her. So that's what really got me because it's just like that's the length the prophet goes for the sake of bringing forth a message. 
unless you're completely hearkening to Hashem and you're really able to allow Hashem to move that close into your life, into your heart, into your circumstances, you know, you might want to second guess calling yourself a prophet, you know, because it is definitely something that you have to be subjugated completely to Hashem about. All of that was a side tangent to what this word uh, Navi here in our Tehillim is all about. And the word is actually based off the root of bow, which means to come in or to go. And so the way that it is used here in this verse, which is the only way, the only occurrence of this usage in the Tanakh, you know, like as far as nav, Navi or Navo or Slika is Navi, Slika. So Ve Navi is only used in this form and with this meaning only one time. And it means basically that we may apply, that we may present. And so when you think about what's what we're doing with the Torah, we're constantly presenting it to ourselves. We're constantly applying it to ourselves. This is why praying without ceasing is something that we currently practice or something that we always practice in Judaism. Uh, that's why we have blessings that we recite for like everything before and after, you know, um, that's why we're uh, we have daily portions of Torah readings. We have the fact that we, um, you know, always try to keep keep studying, always try to have, you know, some some new Devar Torah, some new word of Torah. As far as like we always have something that we're able to share. And this, by the way, while we're already while we're already swerving, this is the meaning of Mashiach looking for fruit on the fig tree that we read about in the Basora. And he was upset that there was no fruit on the fig tree. And so he cursed it and caused it to wither. And with him doing that, that ties to the fact that having a Devar Torah, a lesson of Torah, a new lesson of Torah, a uh, insight or anything of that nature, that we should always have something like that. You know, we should always be able to present something of Torah. And uh, that would be the meaning of a fig tree with fruit. Whether in or out of season, the fig tree has something of, on it of which to grant sustenance to the one who is seeking from it. So if you think about the fig tree having no fruit, that means there was like, nothing there for uh, Mashiach to really get sustenance from. And it's just like, that shouldn't be the case, you know? So may we always be fruitful like a fig tree and have a heart of wisdom numbering our days because there is a set time for us here and we don't need to get too comfortable thinking, oh yeah, I got time to do that. You better do it now while we still can. While it is still today, hear his voice, all right? Uh, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I say, I say, I say, I don't know. I say we need to get us some for sure. All right. So with the Gamzulatova idea here and um, understanding that what we may perceive as a blessing, that's one thing. And what Hashem has granted us as far as challenges and obstacles, those are also blessings as well, even though they may seem like curses. So to finish out in orchards over here, it says while reciting such or while reaching such a positive attitude 
is not easy. Judaism teaches us to strive for it, to search for the good in all eventualities. As the famous Torah scholar Nahum Ish Gamzu was fond of saying, this event, which appears to be negative, is also for the good. Ta'anit 21a. So Gamzu Letova, which is that phrase that I just read from Nahum Ish Gamzu. Nahum Ish Gamzu said Gamzu Letova. Now that's a tongue twister and uh, that's legit. So one more, I did not plan to share this, but I'm just looking at the title and it says Ego Clarification. Again, this is still Orchards, and he's going to do this thing about Anoki. And so I'm going to go ahead and use this to launch out into the next Anoki insight. But this is what he says about Anoki. It says the notion that ego separates human beings from God stems from the fact that the Hebrew word for I, which is Anoki, is the root of the Hebrew word for ego, which is Anokiyut. Okay, so Anoki is the root of Anokiyut, which is the word for ego. So I, ego. So there pretty much is an I and ego is what that could be. Uh, is said as far as, you know, to kind of make a uh, tongue-in-cheek kind of statement. Uh, you know, kind of like there's no I in team, you know, there's no I, there's an I in ego kind of thing. Uh, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. I don't know why I just decided to just drop that on here. But anyway, the more you know. Now, I want to go ahead and jump over here to his next little section. It says, inherently, the ego is neither a blessing nor a curse. It all depends on how much we clarify our sense of self. In Hebrew, there are, there are actually two words for I. There's anoki and ani. In fact, they share the same letters, but anoki has an additional letter, which is kaf. When the letters of the word ani are permuted, they spell ayin, which is nothing. Wow. Or Sliga, that's Ain, not Ain. So Ani can be rearranged to spell Ain, which means nothing. As in Ainod Milvado, there is nothing but God, basically. It says the permutation hints at the profound truth that, or at times, the ego truly stands between us and God, between us and other people, even between us and our own true natures. Truth be told, most of the time, the ego stands between us and everything else. When it does this, it can be labeled as a curse. However, this only happens when we allow our ego to go unchecked. So if we check our ego, we remove the curse. That's legit. It says, when we give our animal impulses full reign over our thought, speech, and action, Okay, so this only happens. So what only happens? The curse, our ego being unchecked. This only happens when we give our animal impulses full reign over our thought, speech, and action. Okay, so nothing Torah, nothing uh, influenced by the Ruach HaKodesh, by the Word of God, 
And then it says, however, yes, I did say that on purpose, that the Ruach HaKodesh and the Word of God, that's what they, they, they equal each other. So the Ruach HaKodesh is the Word of God. The Word of God is the Ruach HaKodesh. This is why Mashiach Yeshua says that I will pray to the Father to give you an advocate, a counselor. And we know that the Torah is called a counselor. How do we know that? Boy, I don't have Shomer Blue out here. So y'all are safe from the Midrash on that. But the Torah is literally called a counselor. You can look at, uh, well, first of all, Mishle 3126. It's talking about the Eshet Chayil. It says she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. And so speaking with Torah provides faithful instruction. And let's look at the interlinear on that real quick. We have, okay, so a covenant of loyalty is in her tongue, which is Chesed al-Leshona. So the Torah is Chesed. It's covenant loyalty, and it's the wisdom. And then the verse I was thinking of, hang on. Okay, so where I was going is Mishlei chapter 8, as far as calling the Torah a counsel, like wise counsel being a, like a helper. So if you look in Mishlei 8, it's wisdom, basically Torah talking here and you get down to verse 14 verse 14 says li etza ve tushia ani bina li gevura let's put that in english counsel and sound judgment are mine i have insight i have power so if you think about really what this is letting us know that if we look to the fact that we have the ability to overcome our animal impulses, to check our ego, if we use the Torah, we use the word of God, the spirit of God to do that, we're, we're granting ourselves wise counsel. So the word in Hebrew is Eitzah, and Eitzah is counsel or advice. And this ties in with uh, what the Zohar uh, calls the, the 613 mitzvot. It calls the, them wise advice that Hashem has granted us. So that's from the Zohar. Um, I came across that, and I think we we're going to talk about that later. So... Please forgive me for the source's hatred on that because I should know that and believe that and trust that. Let me go ahead and see if I can find it. I know, uh, I think I heard it from G. Shekel. So let's see here. Yes, well, look at that. So he says that each commandment is advice about which to turn to take at each juncture in the road of life. So the Zohar calls the commandments of the Torah advice. Now, there is no uh, address on that. 
So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a second and I'm going to get the Zohar and we're going to find that. So stand by. All right. So our Zohar portion comes from Vayikra 29. Let me give you the overall overview and then we'll get down to the minutia. It says, Rob... Rabbi Yossi says that before the soul is born, God advises it with promises and punishments so that it will observe his mitzvot. Okay, so for some reason as I'm reading this, I'm thinking of Parsha Re'eh. Like, as if to allude to the fact in Parsha Re'eh, this is kind of like before we get into the land... We're going to go through these blessings and these curses, which is likened to what I'm reading here that says God advises promises and punishments uh, before the soul is born. And so there's this idea that if you think about the fact that, I mean, there's not an idea there is now because I'm talking about it. Maybe somebody else has already thought about this. But if you think about Mount Gerizim and Mount Eval, where the blessings and the cursings are supposed to happen, that when the children of Israel are entering into the land, that's the first place they go to, and they're going through the blessings and the cursings, and Shechem being in the middle, oh my goodness, Shechem is considered to be in between Mount Gerizim and Mount Eval, and that's where Yosef is buried, and it talks about the fact that the uh, bones of Yosef uh, being the essence of Yosef, and we know that Yosef is called the Zadik, and the Zadik is the one who is truly righteous, which obviously we're looking at Yeshua HaMashiach, who says, I am the true vine, i.e., I am the true righteous one, because literally, and according to Judaism, teachings of Chasidus is that, Lakute Maharon to be specific, that uh, this is Breslev's commentary, that the true righteous one is considered like a vine and his followers are called branches so as far as mashiach saying i'm the true vine and i am the or and you're the branches you know abide in me it's all about being a part of the zodic connecting yourself and attaching yourself to him and i bring all that up to say that the zodic bridges the blessings but bridges between blessings and curses so in other words to have the right balance and the right appropriation and application of something that uh, can be mitigated from the blessing side and the cursing side you know you think about a balance of that which is just crazy of a concept to think about it takes a zodic in order for that to go into proper balance and so you know being able to have our challenges but still be able to receive blessing through it you know it's all about the zodic bridging that gap and so anyway just bring that up which would technically mean that when the children of israel enter into the promised land through these blessings and these curses mitigated by the zodic they are literally being born a new into the land through Yosef. And you think about the implications of that as far as the picture that just got painted is that we're born again through Yosef from blessings and curses. 
literally being the promises and the punishments that Hashem relays to the soul before it is born. Wow. Okay, so hopefully that makes sense. You know, if you think about the uh, entering in and how, yeah, I mean, just that, you know. So Zohar Vayikra 29 over here, making that connect to Parsha Re'e with the blessings and the curses of Mount Gerizim says, before the soul is born, God advises it, promises and punishments. So before the children of Israel enter into the land, they have the blessings and the curses. Now, literally in the Zohar portion, it says so that it w so that it will observe his commandments. So in other words, if you see the promises and the punishments that the soul was taught, that God advised before it was born, that it will observe the commandments. Just like this week when we hear the blessings and the curses, that if you will observe the Torah, you'll have the blessings. And so it's just kind of like overlay a picture here. So the concept of being uh, born is before you're born, you have this idea of blessings and curses that Hashem presents us. And he's just like, just observe the mitzvot so you don't have to deal with the curses. You know, the curses are horrible and you're going to get blessing ultimately afterwards. But, you know, basically you can do this the easy way or the hard way. Now, I know that I was saying earlier about as far as the sources go, that there is a concealment of greater blessings in the curses. And it's like, yes, that may be true, but do you really want to put yourself in a position of being disobedient to the Torah just so you can receive better blessings through your curses? It's kind of a working against yourself kind of mentality. Basically, if you don't listen to Torah and you don't follow the mitzvot anyway, number one, that's an agent of hardening your heart. So who knows if you would even get to the blessing behind that curse if you continue on in a path of sin because sin literally means to break the commandments to not observe the torah this is why mashiach came to give his life as a ransom for sinners because we were adamantly breaking the torah and so through his sacrifice we adamantly observe the torah so he's using that which wounded us He's using the same thing to heal us. It's just like he took took upon himself lawlessness because he knew no sin. He became sin for us and then condemned that to death on the crucifixion stake. And so you think about the fact that you took sin and lawlessness and that's what you use to bring righteousness. And so, you know, it's just it's such a crazy concept. You know, but the closest thing we have to that to help us out with a little bit more clarity is to study the red heifer. And you can go back to Parsha Hukat for that. Like, Hukat time for that. Okay. But anyway, Hukat time for that is literally a podcast that I made for those of you who may not know the silliness that I have uh, taken all of the listeners through. Over the weeks here and over the months in the tour portion cycle, um, I have 
basically titled some of the previous tour portions with interesting names that are a spinoff of the name of the tour portion. So who got time for that was definitely a title that I made. So, uh, we got a lot of time for that basically, but you know, who caught is the name of the tour portion. So anyway, can I finish the Zohar portion? It says when the soul is in the body and it sins, the Torah wonders how this can be. Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Eliezer agree that the soul must repent of its sins before the time comes to die. Rabbi Shimon says anyone who forgets the words of Torah or refuses to study it is as though he forgot God altogether. Good night. So let's go ahead and jump down. So G Shuckle, I appreciate you um, just flash grenading us with the fact that the Torah considers the mitzvot as um, advice. And so now we are looking at the Zohar portion, which comes all the way back from Vayikra. So let me just go ahead and drop down to section 208, same chapter. So Zohar, Vayikra 29, 208. We learn that when Hakadosh Baruchu takes out the soul to bring it down amongst men, he advises, there it is, he advises it with promises and many punishments so that it will observe the precepts. Furthermore, he passes it through a thousand and eight words to have delight and see them or and to see in them the honor of those who study the Torah. It stands before the king with a precious garment of worldly shape. With a precious supernal garment, it daily beholds the king's glory and he adorns it with many crowns. Well, that escalated quickly, but basically you kind of see the fact that these words, these thousand and eight words become like garments to the soul. So this is why our actions, our thoughts, our speech are considered to be garments of the soul because they're made out of words. And, you know, literally your speech is words, your thoughts are words, your actions literally are words. That's why it says actions speak louder than words because your words amplify and become emphasized in your action. Anyway, the Torah mitzvot can also be called advice because the Zohar puts it that way. So, Toda Rabbah G. Shekel for dropping that on us. And we got there because we were looking at Mishle 8.14 talking about how the Torah is called Eitzah, which is a counsel, a wise counsel, by the way. And the Torah says Ani. The Torah says I which means that it is this form of the word for I, which makes itself nothing. And this is why Mashiach himself could literally say, apart from my father, I can do nothing. And make sure I give you that source, because that always stood out to me. Because if you think of Mashiach, um, let me get the verse here while I'm talking. I, I got to focus real quick. <laughs> 
It is Yokonon 5.19. So, again, uh, where I was going with this is the Trinitary belief, the Trinity belief, Trinitarian belief, the Trinity belief, is uh, basically, um, if not destroyed, definitely uh, crippled when you look at this verse. Because if you think about the fact that, you know, there's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they're each separate entities... Like that literally being in the theology, obviously we're saying that obviously the theology is saying that they're separate entities, but that they're one. Okay, so you just use separate in there, though. And if you use separate, especially when it comes to Mashiach, the son of God, it says Yeshua gave them this answer. Amen, I say unto you. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. Yochanan 5.19. Ani. So this is definitely the embodiment of Aleph, Nun, Yod, which can be permutated to Ain, which is uh, what Trugman brings down. Now, we're talking about being children of God. And so far, what we've covered is like the motorist operandi for being a child of God. Is that we have a checked ego. Our ego is clarified. And instead of saying anoki, we say ani, which means that we nullify ourselves to our own thoughts, speech, and deed, and we take upon ourselves Hashem's thought, speech, and deed, which is why we're called to be imitators of God, Ephesians 5.1. Then we have this whole drop and layout of having faith, because as children of Hashem, we are to be people of faith. Because again, if we take on Messiah's teaching that the, the Son does what the Father does, so what does that mean as children? That we need to do what Hashem does. And so we're like doing all that. And it's basically going back to the fact that Gamzule Tova having the same idea that he has. So if something is horrible to us, obviously Hashem has a different perspective of it. As far as the fullness, which again, go back to our idea that's brought down by Trugman, seeing with Mashiach eyes that we zoom out from the individual trees and we see the whole forest. Yes, it's tragic to lose a loved one. Yes, it is hardcore trials and tribulations when we're going through struggles and things that are just to quote Denzel Washington and remember the Titans, cook my grits. Okay. There's a scene in there where he's like, you're cooking my grits, coach, you know, and he was just like, man, you're really working me right here, but I'm going to, we're going to work through this, you know, kind of thing. So cooking my grits, that's now a euphemism for going through trials and tribulations and nullifying your ego. Okay. So if I can sum that up, being children of God is having a cooking my grits attitude that, uh, Gamzule Tova, nullified ego, and seeing with the eyes of Mashiach, and having a Muna. All right. 
So that was Orchards of Delights, and uh, yeah. Okay, so now I want to bring literally to the table. There is a Avenger that we have. His name is Akav. He's our Jewish gambit. And so uh, he just decided to message me with this as if it was okay. Uh, quoting some Baal HaTorim, quoting some Rashi, quoting some Rabbi Shaul, quoting some Rambam. Like, how do you even put all that in one drop? Like... So, because it happened to me, it's now about to happen to you. So, he starts off all calm and collected, like Gambit does. Walks up to you, he's all cool, then he pulls out a deck of cards, and then he lights the place up. But anyway, so, uh, you may recall in this week's tour portion that there's a section about eating meat. And slaughtering the meat, uh, according to the way Hashem showed you. Which, by the way... How do you know how to properly slaughter meat? You have to know oral Torah, i.e. Torah Sheba al Pei, Torah of the mouth, uh, rabbinic uh, interpretation. You have to know what's brought down in the Talmud. You have to know what's brought down by the sages, all of the above. Okay, so... If we look at Devarim chapter 12, I'm just going to read these verses just so we have some good context. Starting in verse 15, it says, However, in all your soul's desire, you may slaughter and eat meat according to the blessing that Hashem, your God, will have given you in all your cities. The contaminated one and the pure one may eat it, like the deer and the heart, but you shall not eat the blood. You shall not, you shall pour it onto the earth like water. In your cities, you may not eat the tithe of your grain, your wine, and your oil, firstborn of your cattle and your flocks, all your vows that you vow, and your free will offerings, and what you raise up with your hand. Rather, you shall eat them before Hashem, your God, in the place God, your God, will choose. You, your son and your daughter, your slave and your maidservant, and the Levite who is in your cities. And you shall, hang on, got a page cut off. So I'm going to go over here to my trusty little source over here to finish out reading that. Okay, so we were in... Um, I'm going to go back here. So the deer in the heart, that was 22. Now, 23. Take, just take care not to eat the blood for the life. For the blood is the life and you are not to eat the life with the meat. Don't eat it, but pour it onto the ground like water. Do not eat it so that all things will go well with you and your children after you. As you do, what Adonai sees is right. Only the things set aside for God, which you have... And the vows that you have vowed to make, you must take and go to the place which Adonai will choose. There you will offer your burnt offerings, the meat and the blood on the altar of Adonai your God. The blood of your sacrifices is to be poured out on the altar of Adonai your God and you will eat the meat. Obey and pay attention to everything I am ordering you to do. 
Ready? So that things will go well with you and with your descendants after you forever as you do what Adonai sees as good and right. So again, this idea of being children of God, we're doing what Hashem sees as good and right, not what we see as good and right. If we go back to Devarim 12.8, it also says, you will not do things the way we do them here today, where everyone does whatever in his own opinion seems right because you haven't arrived at the rest and inheritance which Adonai your God is giving you. Obviously, this is alluding to making uh, the different sacrifices not on the Temple Mount, not at the uh, the Beit Hamikdash, but like just in the various places that they're traveling through. They're having the Mishkan erected and torn down to go throughout the different encampments like you won't be able to do that once Hashem takes us to the place where he rests his name so that whole idea and then um let's see here I was gonna try to get that verse uh, about uh sacrificing the meat the way that he showed us so stand by there it is okay Baruch Hashem it is Devarim 12.21 I'm like just looking all over this whole page and it is Devarim 12.21 it says that uh, if the place is too far away I have commanded that you do this or you may kill animals from your herds and flocks which the Lord has given to you I have commanded that you may do this uh, some different translations put it according to the way I've shown you, but let me go ahead and just read the interlinear so that we can just completely bypass all that. You know, you just gotta, gotta get used to just reading the Hebrew, you know? I mean, that's just really what it is. So if you look at that, it says that Ve'zavakta Meev or Meeb Karkek Karka Meeb Karka. So Ve Zavakta Meeb Karka U Mi Zon Ka. So, and you may kill of your herd and of your flock Asher Natan Adonai Leka Ka Asher Zivitika that Hashem has given you according to how I commanded. So, ka'asher zivitika, according to the way that I commanded. If you're looking in different translations, it's easy to gloss right over that. So, Devarim 12.21, if you look in the Hebrew, look at the fact that it says, Vezavakta mipkarka, Umizonka Asher Natan Adonai Lekaka Asher Zivitika. And uh, that basically is saying that you shall kill of your herd and of your flock according to the way Hashem has commanded you. So there is that. I digress. But anyway, so Akav shared basically that whole context, that drop, Devouring Chapter 12, 
various verses here. So the first thing from Rashi, it says, alternatively, the Torah urges us to make the delicate and difficult distinctions that are often essential to carry out God's will. One must distinguish or must one distinguish between a non-kosher donkey and a kosher cow? No, the distinction between them is obvious. This commandment makes it incumbent upon us to learn how to distinguish between things that appear to be similar, such as distinguishing between purity and contamination. So you see the verse about the pure and the impure made of it, you know, like why bring that up? Why not just say the people can eat of it? It's like, no, the pure can eat of it. The impure can eat of it. Okay. So there's this distinguishing that's going on and it says, or discerning the fraction of an inch that one makes, but the difference or sleek discerning the fraction of an inch that makes the difference between proper kosher slaughter and improper one. So, and an improper one. So there is like a fraction of an inch that makes a difference between a kosher slaughter and a non-kosher slaughter. Okay, Rashi brings that out. Why in the world is that important? Because if you're off by a fraction of an inch, your cow, though it is kosher, the meat now becomes not permissible and it is given to the nations, the goyim, the Gentiles, to sell in their butcher uh, or their daily. Okay, so when you slaughter meat uh, that is kosher, because that's the only kind of meat you slaughter, uh, you don't slaughter pigs, you don't slaughter um, shrimp, you don't slaughter um, horse or donkey or any of that kind of thing you you know kosher meat split hoof choose the cud has to have both of those signs that's if it's on the land and it's an animal that you're going to eat and if it's in the water it needs to have fins and scales it has to have two signs as well so obviously we're thinking two signs two mashiachs and if you weren't now you are okay so if you take kosher animals and you improperly slaughter them they come they become so for some reason i'm just compelled stirred and moved to say this would be making sure that we understand the ideology that exists in the world today that once saved always saved um that's not good because if you think in that mentality apply the concept here about the distinguishing about the fraction of an inch that it takes during the kosher slaughter if you're off by that much you now even though you have kosher meat become in kosher or become non-kosher and if you think about our lives we're to walk kosherly before god we're to walk fit and proper is the better way to say it that's what kosher literally means fit and proper and if you look at that with the way that we walk, we can ourselves become kosher, become non-kosher. We can be filled with the spirit of Hashem and then we can make ourselves not kosher. How in the world do we do that? We remove ourselves from walking fitly before God, i.e. we divorce ourselves from Messiah. We divorce ourselves from Torah. We divorce ourselves from Avodah. 
we divorce ourselves from serving God with all of our heart. We stop listening to Hashem. We start following after the ways of this world. Okay? Now, that's kind of crazy to think because you would think being filled with the Spirit of Hashem, how in the world does one get into that? Well, that is definitely a conundrum, but who got time for that, right? Like, literally, who got time for that? Like, trying to figure that out is not a good use of our time. So, uh, we're reaching close to an hour, and I'm going to go ahead and turn off my alarm. And uh, we're going to just keep pressing in. All right, so, Rashi brings that out. So, that's the first little source to his first source. And then Akav pulls out the Bahaturim. And whenever someone pulls out the Bahaturim, just duck and cover, okay? Because anything that drops from the Bahaturim is just so ninja that it's just like, wow. Okay, so on verse 20, the phrase tokal or tokel basar, you may eat meat. This is interesting because this really brings us back to Parashat Noach. Where after the flood, you know, Noah and his sons are coming off the ark and into a renewed world. And Hashem is saying to them for the first time that they can eat meat. And so you're looking like, okay, so we didn't eat meat before. Like, what is this all about? You know, and if we look about look at this here, you may eat meat. And it's just kind of like, okay, so we were eating meat before. And interestingly enough, through various commentaries that I've read uh, so far for this week's parsha, there is debate, you know, between different rabbis that, you know, the children of Israel ate meat while they were in the wilderness. And then they did. And then they were uh, exhorted here about eating meat uh, because they would now eat meat that is not sacrificed first. So now the idea from only eating meat because it came from the Mishkan versus now we can eat meat that gets slaughtered without being brought as an offering. And so between those two different circumstances, there is a lot of back and forth on, well, the children of Israel did not eat meat and now they are eating meat. And it's just kind of like, OK, so let's go ahead and use that as a case precedent. Because we know that sacrifices were brought, namely before the uh, the flood, before Noah brought his offering, we had offerings before. Because what was Cain and Hevel, Cain and Hevel, uh, Cain and Abel, they brought offerings. Cain brought, you know, fruits of the land, and Hevel brought fruits of the flock. You know, he literally brought in the the Pesach lamb. And uh, Pearl K went into literally uh, Hevel's offering. So Hevel's offering basically was like an Akida type uh, offering. He brought like the firstborn lamb, you know, of his flock. So there's all that first fruit, firstborn, uh, Hevel, which Hevel, his name rearranges to Halev, which is the heart. And he's bringing the best of his offerings. And so you have the heart, the first fruit, the lamb, and that's being offered up to Hashem. And that is the the offering that Hashem accepted, which literally caused Hevel to die. So you think about Mashiach dying, 
Hashem accepting that offering. Mashiach is the firstborn, the first fruits of all creation, namely the first fruits of the re of the resurrection as well. So he's first in everything. Then he himself is called the Lamb. And so there's that whole thing. And then he was killed because of the jealousy of his brothers. And just like Hevel was killed because of the jealousy of his brother. Hevel didn't do anything wrong. There was no sin, uh, so to speak, in what Hevel did. You know, and so you look at even that type and shadow. There was no sin in what Mashiach did, but yet his brethren that he was entrusted to, they were like, yeah, you need to die. And it's just like, why do I need to die? Uh, we all know. We'll think about that. But in the meantime, you need to die. And it's just like, wow. Okay. But as the Avengers, we're always prone to say, well, you know, really the brothers didn't kill Mashiach. The Jews didn't kill Mashiach. The Romans didn't kill Mashiach. Mashiach himself says, no man takes my life. I lay it down willingly. So there is that as well. But anyway, I'm supposed to be sharing Baalatorim. So on verse 20, you may eat meat. It says, juxtaposed to this is ki yirchach, which means if it will be far. So you can look at you shall eat meat. And then the next phrase is about if it will be far. This indicates that a person should distance himself from meat, from eating meat, as it is taught in the chapter Kisui Hadam. Now, let's look at that. It says, chapter Kisui Hadam is the sixth chapter of Tractate Hulin. Okay, the Talmud there offers food regiments that are in accordance with a person's financial status. The very indigent should eat vegetables. Those with some means may eat fish. Those of ample means may eat meat. And the wealthy may fill their pots with meat every day of the week. But on Shabbat, everyone may eat meat. Okay, so that's Hulin 84a, as explained by Mar Maharsha. And you can see also Rambam Hilkot Deot uh, 510. And you know, obviously, because Akav is a Avenger, he decided to tie that to Romans 14. So let me give his preface. He says, I came across this last night. I believe Rob Shaul was talking about a deeper concept than simply. A person with weaker faith eats vegetables and a person with stronger faith eats meat. It's about converts who are coming in and do not understand halakha. The new convert is, quote unquote, weak in observance. They should not be slaughtering their own meat because they don't fully understand the oral law. Shaul would have to be addressing converts uh converts of he is dealing converts that he is dealing with and he these are people who are on different observance levels and can possibly conflict with one another which to that point this is why you know Baruch Hashem we get to buy hectured meat from the kosher butcher so that we don't have to deal with the fact of possibly causing 
uh, non-kosher slaughters to happen because we're slaughtering on our own. And definitely, if you have no idea what it means to kosher slaughter and you're going to step into the, the room and do a kosher slaughter, it's just like, mm, careful, don't mess up. But anyway, I'm going to go ahead and now read Romans 14. And I want you to take note of the word weak because we just saw that, you know, if you don't have the uh, financial means to eat meat, then please refrain from that. And I'll go ahead and give in my personal experience uh, from my Kala and I on this is that when we first became observant, I don't know how long we went without eating meat. Just because we were like, what in the world is going on? Like everything just kind of flipped upside down, like on us. Like we felt like the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, like moving from Philly to Bel Air, is just kind of like, wait, what just happened? And uh, yeah, I did quote Fresh Prince of Bel Air that flipped turned upside down. All right, so I'd like to take a minute and just sit right there, tell you how we went without eating meat for the first almost the first year. Okay, uh, that was terrible trying to wrap that. But anyway, um, so yeah, we refrained from eating meat and we were like vegetarians for like the first part of our Jewish walk. And it was just like, you can go buy kosher meat. And it's like, oh yeah, I don't know how we didn't think of that. Uh, I don't even know what to do with that, you know? And it's just like, but wait, don't mix meat and dairy. So we're not ready for that yet, you know, because we love our dairy. And, um, you know, when you come from a life of cheeseburgers and chicken parmesan, and it's just like now those things do not go together. It's just like, uh, well, what do I eat? It's like, well, I'll just have fettuccine Alfredo with uh, no chicken. And I'll have uh, the Parmesan with my wonderful spaghetti, but I uh, won't put any chicken with it. It's like, uh, you know, you can substitute salmon or something like that. It's just like, yeah, OK, well. You know, that's possible. I'm telling you, salmon dishes are amazing, by the way. Um, my kala, this past Shabbat, actually made a salmon pilaf, and it was like, what? So, yeah. And then there's salmon chowder. That's also like, what? Throw some, okay? So, anyway, those, that's the way I judge food. You know, if I, if I have to throw something, then that means it's really good. Just like whenever I'm reading these insights and I want to throw something, that's because it's really good. I just, I feel like a two-year-old. I just don't know how to express myself. My emotions are just getting the best of me. But anyway, Romans 14.1, without further ado. Now as for a person whose trust is weak, welcome him, but not to get into arguments over opinions... One person has the trust that will allow him to eat anything, while another, whose trust is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats anything must not look down on the one who abstains, and the abstainer must not pass judgment on the one who eats anything, because God has accepted him. Who are you to pass judgment on someone else's servant? It is before his own master that he will stand or fall. And the fact is that he will stand because Hashem is able to make him stand. All right. So first of all, it's so refreshing to be able to read this passage of Romans and not think about the fact of, 
yeah, and so all foods are clean. So, yeah, if the one who eats anything, yeah, it's just like, no, that's not what that means. This is this is a discussion here about, you know, the meat versus uh, vegetarian going on, you know, because as I literally read um, about what the Bahatorium drops with distancing ourselves from eating meat, there were probably a bunch of nails hitting the chalkboard and lots of raised eyebrows, you know, because it's like, psh, you can miss me with that. Bye, Felicia. I ain't distancing myself from eating meat. And it's just kind of like, okay, let's pull in the reins a little bit. It's not where we're going with that. So anyway, you can see that overlay now on Romans 14 that, you know, some people are like, yeah, I think I'm just not going to do the meat thing right now. And I'm just going to stick to these vegetables. And it's like, all right, don't become a weirdo. And it's just like too late. But um, not calling people who are vegetarians weirdo. Trust me, I myself prefer to eat vegetables rather than eat meat. I, you know, I'm like, what else do we have that's not meat? Because I love Pop-Tarts. I love donuts. And it's hard to find those things parve. I will do it. And uh, that's fine, but uh, just let me just hook up the dairy, dairy parv, like just hook it up, you know. But anyway, but I do enjoy a good burger, you know, every now and then, you know what I'm saying, you know what I'm saying. But anyway, uh, I meant just give the drosh. <laughs> okay, so we're over here talking about that. So anyway, you can kind of see it's this whole idea, like, whether you want to eat a lot of meat or whether you don't want to eat meat, like, don't get into the silly argument that that is. That's all Romans 14 is talking about. And for the f simple fact, I love the previous verse, which is the last verse of chapter 13. And it says, instead, clothe yourselves with Adonai, Yeshua HaMashiach, and don't waste your time thinking about how to provide for the sinful desires of your old nature. Why did I say that? Because the main part of that verse that I want to focus on is clothing ourselves with Mashiach and not wasting our time. I know you're not supposed to take stuff out of context, but I'm taking that out of context for the simple fact of if you look at that, with the context of getting into silly disputes about whether uh, we should just eat only vegetables versus let's eat all the meat in the world. Okay, if you're clothed with Mashiach Yeshua, if it ain't breaking Torah, then what are you doing? Let it go. Okay, it's totally fine to eat meat. It's literally in this week's Torah portion. And it's totally fine to eat vegetables. It's literally in this week's Torah portion. So... Just clothe yourself with Messiah and don't waste time on silly things. Okay. Now, his next point he decides to drop like that's okay. He just keeps going. Uh, this is a Kav here quoting the Bahaturim. He says, well, verse 27 says, Ve habasar tokal, tokel, and you shall eat the meat. Okay. So it says juxtaposed to this is the phrase shamor ve sham shamata now you know i know a little bit about shamor because you know shomer man is literally sheen mem resh all about safeguarding and uh that kind of stuff so samurai that's why i like swords swords are the thing all right brook shim anyway so this is juxtaposed 
this idea of eating meat and safeguarding. And it says this juxtaposition indicates that an unlearned person is prohibited from eating meat as it is taught in Tractate Pesachim. Okay, so again, there's our weak in the faith little drop. And if you look at the footnote that he shared, uh, let's see here. It went from there and it says that, all right, it says, so Pesachim 49b, the Talmud derives this law from Vayikra 1146. Let me go back up a little bit though. First of all, it says, Shemor, you shall observe ve shamata, i.e., you shall hear, i.e., you understand. The one who is unlearned is prohibited from eating meat. See the next note. And it says, Perush Harokeach, Pesachim 49b. The Talmud derives this law from Vayikra 1146. The commentaries differ in the interpretation of the Talmudic passage. According to one view, it refers to unlearned boar or anyone, for that matter, eating meat that was slaughtered or prepared by him without supervision of someone learned in the relevant halakot regarding kosher meat. This prohibition is then based on his ignorance of the pertinent halakot. So... Basically, this whole idea of not really understanding what kosher slaughter means. There was a point in time where um, I encountered people, you know, in Judaism who were like, yeah, I can just go buy non-kosher meat and um, salt it. And uh, that'll drain all the blood out because remember, we're not supposed to eat the blood. And it's just like, uh, don't really think that's the full story. But anyway, uh, so you can kind of see that kind of points to the fact of not really knowing what kosher slaughter is all about. So those type of people, you want to refrain from eating meat, get a good understanding of kosher meat or just bypass the whole thing. Clothe yourself in Messiah and buy some hexer meat and call it a day. Those are your options. Brugashem. So anyway, Akav, Todah Rabah for sharing that. I appreciate that. And uh, Bezrah Hashem, that was helpful information uh, that ended up being very, very cool to have as a Basora insert to this week's Torah portion. So I always like finding how these things connect. And so um, connecting the dots, man, that's what we do. All right. So that was chapter 12. Now I want to go ahead and take us to chapter 14 because I want to get into the crux of what it is to be children of God. So in the Kehert Humash, in chapter 14, it's going into like not making bald spots in your head and all that kind of stuff. And then it's going to go into kosher, you know, all the animals that we are permitted to eat and not to eat, you know. So anyone who is uh, observing kashrut, just know there are two specific chapters in the Torah that really break it all down for you as far as what to eat. These are our options. These are the menu, basically. You can look at Vayikra chapter 11, Leviticus 11, or you can look at Devarim chapter 14. Anyway, Deuteronomy 14 is also another thing. So you have two these two chapters between those two. It's a good lunch menu. All right, so chapter 14 here says, 
and I love the fact that the Hasidic insight just goes, yeah, I know the whole verse has your children of Hashem, your God, and goes into the rest, but let's just stop at the fact that the Torah just says, you are children of God, your God. Okay, the Torah literally tells us that we're children of God. And um, so let's just get into that. It says, this metaphor implies that just as a child originates in its parents' essence, so do the Jewish people originate in God's essence. So that was extremely violent to start off. That is from the Tanya. Wow, we're reading the Tanya now. Tanya chapter 2, to be more exact. Uh, I will warn you that if you're going to go ahead and jump into reading Tanya, um, put your waiters on because it's going to get deep. Okay. Anyway, um, in the words of Baal Shem Tov, every Jew is as precious to God as an only son born to his parents in their old age is to them. In fact, even more precious that's the Keter Shem Tov Addendum 133. So first of all, and like a Jew, every Jew is as precious to God as an only son. Stop right there. Yeshua HaMashiach is the quintessential epitome of that phrase. And Yitzhak is also the quintessential epitome of that phrase because Yitzhak is called only begotten son of Abraham. And then Yeshua HaMashiach is called the only begotten son of Hashem. So then you put those two things together uh, and then you're like, OK, so the there was another uh, commentary that was made about the uniqueness of Abraham. So there's this whole Talmudic uh, drop and Midrashic drop about Abraham being thrown into the fiery furnace in uh, Babylon yeah, so in Daniel, when Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which are commonly known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, oh, those Greek pagan names, wow. Let's go back to Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah. When those three Hebrew boys with Jewish names that are all get you sums, they're in the lineage of David, which means they're in the lineage of Mashiach Yeshua. Okay. So there. So you ever wonder why Yeshua HaMashiach showed up in the furnace with them? That's because they were related. So anyway, um, literally in the same lineage. But I digress to say that uh, when Abraham is thrown in the furnace, there's this uh, statement that was made by the angels where they're like, let's go down and save them. You know, Mikael and Gabriel were like trying to get down there. And Hashem said, nope. Let one who is like, let the one who is like me be saved by me, you know, and it's just like, wait, what? So in other words, Abraham is equated with the same uniqueness that Hashem is equated with. There is no one in the world like Abraham and there is no one in the entire universe beyond creation and so on and so forth that is like Hashem. Because there is no other than Hashem. So there was like this whole idea that um, the uniqueness of Abraham is equated with the uniqueness of Hashem. Because at a time in the world when no one and their grandsister were paying attention to 
monotheism, paying attention to Torah, spirit of God, Hebrew, Judaism. Only Abraham did that and the souls that he had made. So he was the original one that came forth into creation and led people back to Hashem. This is why it's a problem when people say that Judaism does not teach conversion, that there should be no proselytes, that no one should be convert, that uh, everyone who starts to follow God should remain as they are. That's not what that verse means. You know, um, that's beyond the scope of this Josh to really get into the minutia of all those sources and details. But just know that, believe that and trust that. Next part of this phrase says, not only is it an only born son, but to parents in their old age. You know, so this son that's born in an old age, Ben Zekunim, which, by the way, Ben Zekunim is the phrase that's used for the birth of Yosef with uh, or for Yosef when it comes to relating him to Yaakov. So in my Torah portion, come on, Vayashev, it talks about that Yosef is a Ben Zekunin. He is a son born in Yaakov's old age. And so uh, we know that Yitzhak was a son born in Abraham's old age. And then um, doesn't say that literally about Yaakov to Yitzhak, but Yitzhak was pretty old when he had his sons. Because Yaakov and Esau are twins. so, But only Yaakov really is the one who completely resembled Abraham, you know. And uh, ya- Yosef completely resembled Yaakov. And so, like, there's this whole progression here. But anyway, um, you think about that phrase. So the Or HaChaim breaks that down. Ben Zekunim means that so with Yaakov, so with Yosef. So everything about Yaakov also applies to Yosef. This is why when we talk about Mashiach being Yosef, he's likened to all of Israel. So when it says Israel, my firstborn, which we know Israel is another name for Yaakov, because Yaakov had two names. It was Yaakov and it was also Israel. So Israel, my firstborn, Jacob, my firstborn. Mashiach ben Yosef, my firstborn. Mashiach ben Yosef, Israel. So this is where the confusion thrown into the game by anti-missionaries of Yeshiyahu 53, not being about Mashiach, Yeshua, but it's being about, or Mashiach for that matter, whether it's Yeshua or some other proclaimed Mashiach, that anti-missionaries bring up the fact that, no, that's not about Mashiach, that's about Israel. And it's just like, yeah, well, did you know this one time Mashiach is also called Israel because Yosef is the Ben Zekanim to Yaakov, whose name is also Israel. And then Mashiach Yeshua is like the firstborn among creation. So Israel, my firstborn, literally is a title for Mashiach Yeshua. Uh, so that might cause quite the ruckus, but that would be so much truth that you might want to just leave it there. But anyway, which is what I'm going to do. Uh, so Baal Shem Tov is saying that every Jew is basically like to make the illusion and connect that all the way up to do a loop de doo. Uh, if you are in the to- from Torah to Basura class, we learned a new phrase. It's called to make a loop de doo. That's to make the biggest loop around parallel correlation of your life. <laughs> 
So in other words, what I'm about to do here is a loop-de-doo with the Baal Shem Tov saying that every Jew is precious to God as an only son, born to his parents in their old age, is a loop-de-doo to say that every Jew is basically likened to Mashiach. Because every Jew being as precious to God, only begotten sons, born in the old age, just like Mashiach Yeshua, just like Yosef, all of that, just like Yitzhak, there you go. So, if you ever wonder why Mashiach is a body of many members, and that we are all one in Messiah, we are all one in Messiah, not Gentiles, okay? Those of us who are Jews, we are all one in Messiah, okay? Anyway, got to clear that up. Alright, so... The Kehod Humash continues their assaults and throwdown. It says, in other words, when our sages say that God created the world for the sake of Israel, as said in Vayikra Rabbah 36.4, they mean not only for the sake of the Jewish people as a whole, but for the sake of each individual Jew. Man. Okay. Individual and collective is Mashiach, and then over here, individual and collective, it's saying that Hashem created the world for the sake of Israel. Individual and collective. Uh, then it says, therefore the sages say that every Jew should live life as if the entire world was created for him or her. Sanhedrin 4.5, which would be the Yerushalayim Talmud. It says that we should see the live life as if the entire world was created for him or her and awaits his or her unique contribution to its destiny. Lakute Sakot. So all of us have a unique get you some that we bring to the universe. So let's make sure we do it. All right. And then I quoted this earlier in the week, but uh, this is um, the inner dimensions of the same verse. And it says that. The Baal Shem Tov's analogy to elderly parents implies that, as stated above, the Jew originates in God's essence. An elder deserves respect by virtue of the wisdom he has acquired during his long life. Kiddushin 32b. Chokmah is the first and thus the oldest, which remember Chokmah is wisdom, so we're talking about Torah. And it says of the ten sephirot. So Chokmah is the oldest of the ten Sephirot, is the first. And it says, furthermore, it is the gateway to the supra-conscious levels of the soul. So in order to get beyond our own understanding, we have to have wisdom. And then it says that uh, including the inner dimension of Keter, which is known by the biblical epithet Atik Yomim, which is the Ancient of Days. Quoted from Daniel 7, 9. And it says, It is at this level that the Jewish soul is one with Hashem. So, when we talk about being children of God, we're talking about being uh, like Bina, which would be Ben-Yah, son of Yah, son of Kokhmah. This is why Bina flows out from Kokhmah. Okay, so now you can start to understand Zohar terminology where it says and Bina anoints Da'at and Malkut and connects with Zara and Pin, and you're like, what is happening? There's this whole process of birthing or uh, manifesting, you know, like how you think about something 
and then you speak out what you're thinking and then you do what you've spoken out that you've thought that's the whole idea of the sephirot to sephirot like it's this uh translation uh it's coming into existence kind of thing and so just to give you a little zohar uh equipping on that not that we're going to get into the zohar but we kind of already did because apparently this comes from zohar 373a as well so um anyway above kokma so kokma basically is the son of or is the child of keter which Keter is likened to the Ancient of Days. And so one like the Ancient of Days is what Daniel 7.9 is talking about. And if you think about Mashiach, who says that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Chokmah shows us a picture of Keter. And Chokmah is a gateway to higher levels of our soul that are beyond our own understanding. This is why... Seek Hashem in all your ways and lean not on your own understanding, as quoted in Proverbs. You know, like, that's the thing, because Hashem is so lofty that in order for us to have our eternal life, which is knowing Hashem and His Mashiach, as stated in Yochanan chapter 17, that we are not able to do that, you know, unless we become uh, children of God, which is through Chokmah, connecting to Keter. That was heavy. So, uh, yeah. Then uh, it keeps going. And the Hasidic insights here says, besides our being God's children, a status we inherit from our forefathers. So in order for us to be children, we have to have forefathers, which means we have to be converted and grafted in to Israel so that we have patriarchs as our lineage. Anyway, he says, a status we inherit from our forefathers, God also chooses us to be his people. Thus, beyond the intrinsic connection between God and the Jewish people, beyond the intrinsic connection between God and the Jewish people, comparable to the intrinsic connection between parents and children, there is also a volitional connection that exists because God chose us. I was literally asked today earlier, what is the true faith? What is the true religion? And before blurting out Judaism, I really just stopped and took a deep breath. And I said, you know, that's tough for a lot of people. And obviously, my answer is going to come from bias. But, you know, it's really Judaism. It's the Torah. It's pure Torah. You know, and so for us to really walk in the true faith, we must walk in Torah. And the reason I say that is because Hashem chose the Jewish people, you know, and we are his children. And we know that Hashem is the creator of the universe. And we know that there is no other than Hashem. And so obviously the one true faith, the one true Amuna would be what has been entrusted to the Jewish people which is Judaism, which is Torah, which is mitzvot, which is Mashiach, which is all of that. I kind of broke that down on a lower level because it was just saying like, you know, well, the people who call themselves the sacred name witness, those type of people, uh, they they consider themselves to have a true faith. I mean, I don't know really what religion doesn't consider themselves a true faith, but, you know, obviously the different things that are out there. But he said the sacred name witness are people 
you know, they always are out and about, you know, really going from door to door, really teaching people, really trying to, you know, share the message and things like that. And it's just like, it's kind of awkward, you know, you're going from door to door, just like raining down on people, you know, uh, whatever the teaching that they're doing. Now, not that we don't need to be sharing. We do need to share, but there is a way to share and it's called observance. If you're just observant, you'll have all the opportunity in the world to share because you're just minding your own business and you're going to get asked a question inevitably. Or you're just going to be walking out and about and, you know, because of what you do, you're going to cause some questions to naturally occur. But anyway, uh, it's like, how come you're never available on Saturdays? Open can of now share the gospel, you know. And listen, I don't mean share the gospel in the Christian sense. I mean, share the gospel as in, oh, there's this thing called Shabbat. And I observe it to give testimony and credence that Hashem, the God of Israel, the master of the universe, literally the master of the universe, like he is the creator. So to testify that he is the creator and to also have the day of rest that he has granted us as a beautiful gift. Uh, that's why I'm never available on Saturdays, starting on Friday night. And, you know, something like that. That That's called sharing the gospel, okay? Because you know the gospel is called Basora. Basora is a Hebrew word that you can literally, um, it's translated as good news, but if you rearrange the same letters, you get Ha-Basar, which is the flesh. And so you're fleshing out the good news, which is a Jew who observes a mitzvah. So you're fleshing out the good news, and that's the Basora. That's why Yeshua literally came into being in the Basora accounts. That's why the Basora accounts are called the Basora, because it's where the Torah became flesh, and this is what it looked like. So just in case you were confused about the first five books, here's another five writing accounts. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Yochanan, and... So I know Acts isn't def, def, uh, distinctly uh, considered to be a part of the Basora, but it definitely ties in and connects and filters us from the Basora into the letters. So if you're going to have uh, understanding and a grasp of any of the letters of any of Revelation and all that kind of stuff, Make sure you go through the Basora and Acts after you've gotten yourself grounded in Torah. Okay, you got to start with Torah because really the whole Bible is predicated off the Torah. So if you study the Torah, you will by default get to study the whole Bible. So just want to throw that out there to make sure you do proper steps. Okay, but anyway... Over here, it says, in order for us to be his representatives in the world, God created us with a certain affinity to him such that we share his passions. We like what he likes. We dislike what he dislikes and so on. These inherited characteristics constitute our parent child relationship with him. This affinity makes our relationship with him intrinsic and natural. However, just as people are forced by their own natural tendencies to be attracted to certain things. This natural relationship with God is similarly involuntary. 
Because we're children of God, it becomes involuntary that we become attracted and forced into these things of the same passions, the same likes and the same dislikes, the same character traits. It becomes second nature to us because we become children of God. He had no. Okay, so the next statement says it is as if once God has created us this way, he had no choice but to be intrinsically bound to us. What is lacking in this aspect of our relationship with him then is that it says nothing about what connection, if any, might exist beyond our mutual affinity. Therefore, God also chose us to be his people. Free choice implies that no external factors determine the choice. The chooser can make even a choice that goes against his nature if he so desires. The fact that the chooser chooses the chosen regardless of any rational determining factors indicates that there is a deep essential identity between the chooser and the chosen that transcends natural cause and effect. And that is from Lakute Sikot. So by choosing us, relating to us beyond our mutually intrinsic natural connection to him, God enabled us to choose him. So we love us because he first loved us or we love him because he first loved us. That's where that passage would come in. One of the writings of Yochanan. And then it says God enabled us to choose him, to devote ourselves to him beyond the dictates of our logic, our natural affinity. Thus, at the giving of the Torah, we became not only God's children, but also his faithful servants. See Shemot 20, verse 2. So this whole thing about being a child of God also makes us servants of God. So being B'nai Israel and Avid Hashem, Avidim Hashem, servants of God, you know, that all comes together with the fact that we are united and walking in his likeness. So now, you know, I obviously had to go ahead and hook up where Shaul's writings talk about us being children. Uh, I'm going to get there and I'm going to first go through Ibn Ezra on Devarim 14. And it says, once you understand that you're children of God and he loves you more than a father loves his child, then you will not cut your flesh over anything he does. For everything that he does is good, even if you do not understand it. As small children do not understand their father's actions, yet they trust him. You yourselves should act likewise because you are a consecrated people and you are not like the other Canaanites. Accordingly, you should not act as they act. The reason for the juxtaposition of this passage with the passage you must not eat any abominable thing is you are to be a holy nation in your hearts and in your mouths. So what you believe is connected to what you speak and what comes out of your heart is connected to what goes in your mouth. This is why Mashiach Yeshua in Mark 7 would say it's not what goes into the mouth that makes a man defiled. It's what comes out of his mouth. So you can see that precedent right here in the Ibn Ezra with the whole juxtaposition of not eating any abominable thing and being consecrated to Hashem. So then it says, you must thus be distinguishable from the other nations so that anyone who sees you will recognize you. 
Because, you know, you stick out as a Jew. When you really walk like a Jew, talk like a Jew, quack like a Jew, and act like a Jew. Yeah, I just put the quack in there because walks like a duck, talks like a duck, quacks like a duck. Okay, it's a duck. Okay, and it's like, oh, it's a Jew. Like, it's no mistake here. And, you know, really, it's like, I always think about the question when people come up to you, you're like, hey, quick question for you. You're Jewish, right? And it's just like, no, I don't know. Am I? What is, what is, no, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't be smart about it. Just don't do that. <laughs> just like, since I have this time on the podcast, I can just kind of take a moment and just kind of go crazy for a second. Because sometimes I really want to go, like, I'm thinking about it. And it's just like, Amet, will you behave yourself? Will you, will you please act like a Jew? And I'm like, okay. Okay, that's the Benny Friedman song. Gonna make me put my keeper with my Zeet, Zeet Basora on my feet, feet. Okay, anyway, um, wow. Ibn Ezra, please. Okay. You must thus be distinguishable from other nations. I'm definitely distinguishable because I'm crazy. Okay. And then it says, so that anyone who sees you will recognize you. And this is also another allusion to Mashiach's words that they will know you by your love. They will know you are my Talmudim by your love. Okay. To be followers of Yeshua is to be followers of Torah, which means to be Jewish. And then it's like... The way that you know someone's Jewish is because you see their love. So there you go. So then it says, Accordingly, you must not make yourselves bald over the dead, nor may you eat just any animal. For if you are to be a holy nation, it is not fitting that you should eat that which is defiled and thereby defile your souls. And this is where the misinterpretation could come in that whatever you eat will make you defiled. Uh, as far as what the uh, Mark 7 did not say. Because here, if you eat meat that is defiled, if you eat animals that are defiled, you defile your soul. That's why kashrut is a thing. Mark 7 was actually not talking about kashrut because it says that they were... The the accusation is, why do your why do some first of all why do some of your Talmudim uh, defile themselves by eating with hands that have not been washed, and they're eating bread at this point, <clears throat> and so the defiled soul apparently, according to Mark seven accusation from these uh, from this group of Perushim, is that. The people who are eating with unwashed hands are defiling their soul when they eat bread. It's just like, how did you even get to that interpretation? Because I don't see that anywhere in the Torah. In the Torah, you're, if you eat any defiled animal, then you're defiling your soul. But we're eating bread over here. Bread is completely kosher. And um, having unwashed hands make the bread not kosher, thereby... Undefiling your soul It's just like I don't know what's that all about But uh, let's talk about the bigger deal Here is that You are giving lip service to Hashem And your hearts are far from Him You are whitewashed sepulchers And what's coming out of your mouth Is showing that your heart is impure That's the bigger question The bigger picture there So anyway that's why Mashiach Just completely 
goes to the the higher notch there and and, and pulls up the whole conversation because it's not about what we think it's about, you know. So anyway, Ibn Ezra, Tildarabah. Let's go to our verses about children of God as cited in the, I thought, I, okay, there we go. As cited in a few of the letters. First, Yochanan 3.10. This is how we know who the children of Hashem are. Let's see if it lines up with what the Ibn ever. Ibn Ezra says, it says anyone, okay, first of all, let me go back because I interrupted the verse. It says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of Hasatan are. Anyone who does not do what is right, i.e. who does not uphold the mitzvot, the Torah, these, this is not God's child. Nor is anyone who does not love their brother or their sister. Okay, First Yochanan 3.10. Okay, I'm going to go back a verse because he completely just goes into this is who are not children of God. But what about those who are children of God? How do we know if you're children of God? Does it line up with Ibn Ezra? Inquiring minds want to know. First Yochanan 3.9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. What is sin? Breaking Torah. That was cited earlier in the same chapter of John. So, you know, if you just read 1 Yochanan 3.3, that's like a tool bag of ninja uh, weapons right there. So, anyway. But no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed, his offspring, remain in them they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of god get you some of that for being children of god first yokanon 5 2 this is how we know that we love the children of god by loving god and carrying out his commandments there's that loving children of god means we would be children of god which would mean we love our brother and our sister and that was what First Yochanan 3.10 was showing us what is the opposite. Because if we don't love our brother or our sister, then we're not children of God. But if we do love our brother and our sister, then we are children of God. Our Jewish brothers and our sisters. Uh, again, I quoted this on the previous podcast about uh, tithing and mycese, which, by the way, mycese is the Hebrew word myseet which means to uh, be an instigator against uh, following Torah and cause people to walk in idolatry. So anyway, but in that drosh, I brought up the whole thing that who are my mother and who are my brothers, those who keep the commandments. Uh, Anyway, uh, so we have Romans 9, 8. Romans 9, 8 says, in other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children. But it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. So, yeah, there's that. And uh, while I'm at it, check this out. Because, you know, being Jewish is not about um, a bloodline. As, as contrary to popular belief as that may be, I'm just going to hit you with this. Uh... Romans 2:29 On the contrary the real Yehudi 
The real Jew is one inwardly, and the true circumcision is of the heart. It's spiritual, not literal, so that his praise comes not from other people, but from God. Back up a verse. The true Jew is not merely Jewish outwardly. True circumcision is not only external, but physical. Okay, so anyway, truly being Jewish and truly having a circumcision is all about the inner working and transformation of the heart and what we're really doing. So are we really children of God and are we really Jewish? You can answer those questions very simply. What are you doing with Mashiach and what are you doing with the Torah? What are you doing with your life here in this world? That's going to prove who's the true Jew. Get you some of that. Okay, so first Yochanan 3, 1. Oh, here we go. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And this is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Let me just keep reading. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. Okay, so that gives me a lot of comfort, because what we are right now, uh, this isn't it. Okay, this is, this is a birthing process. We're currently in formation, so just think about that. And then it says, but we know that when Mashiach appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Get you some of that. And then it says, All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law, breaks the Torah. In fact, sin is lawlessness. I'm just going to run a gamut of... Uh, this is First Yochanan 3-4 by now. And then it says, Sin is lawlessness, sin is contrary to the law of God. Sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is transgression of the law. Sin is breaking God's law. Sin is the breaking of law. Sin is entirely evil. Sin is disobedience. Sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is iniquity. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is violating the law of God. Okay, so I don't know whoever came up with this idea that we should not listen to the voice of Hashem and follow the Torah, follow the commandments. With uh, that little verse right here alone, among many other verses, like I didn't come to abolish the Torah, but I came to fulfill it. Like, I don't know how those uh, two verses just kind of fly off the radar. Anyway, so be children of God, be Torah observant, follow Mashiach. Because that's Torah observance. So if any, oh my goodness, anyone who is Torah observant is a follower of Mashiach. If they're truly and purely Torah observant, they're literally following Mashiach. And if we don't think that, then we need to start learning who Mashiach is, which is, I think, the beauty of First uh, Yochanan 3, uh, 2, which is saying, uh, we shall know Mashiach when he appears. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I submit to you that seeing him as he is has something to do with the fact of, you know, even though there are people in this world who are observing the pure Torah and don't know a thing about Mashiach Yeshua, 
or don't truly know Mashiach Yeshua, they truly know Mashiach Yeshua because, again, Mashiach Yeshua is the Torah made flesh. He is the pure Torah, like what the Torah is purely all about. So it's really basically impossible. Uh, I mean, okay, maybe it is not completely impossible, but it's mostly impossible. Let's just put it that way. That someone could be a follower of Torah and by default not be a follower of Mashiach. Just saying, that's kind of uh, interesting. Because to insinuate otherwise is to say that Mashiach is not Torah. You know, and we know that's not true. So, uh, Matt, why are you trying to corner us in, man? We're just trying to listen to the podcast and be nice. Okay, but I just want to point out that we don't have to feel so poor Jews. I wish they knew Yeshua. It's just like... Okay, they do need to know Yeshua. We ourselves make sure we know Yeshua. But at the same time, yes, there's a a lesser knowing that's involved as far as the intimacy, the insights, the illumination. But they do know him because he is the Torah. That's the true Mashiach. So just want to say that. And then Hebrews 2.13, it says, again, I put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Who is talking? Uh, Hebrews. Yeshua is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. That's Yochanan 2.11. So us being children of God is being related to Mashiach Yeshua. And he says that uh, we're children of God. Okay, so uh, Yochanan 11.52. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. Okay, so as children of God, remember, we're all each only begotten children of God. And so together we're being made one in Mashiach. Again, there's the one in Mashiach idea. Uh, Philippians 2.15. And uh, it says, so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you shine among them like stars in the sky. I'm just going to back up a verse. It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless. So don't argue. Don't grumble. Be clothed in Messiah, as Romans 13 put it, you know, being clothed in Messiah and, and not wasting any time with crazy arguments. OK, so let me see here there's any other oh yeah of course blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of god if you're a peacemaker you're called a child of god and it's crazy that uh just by being torah observing you make peace he who makes peace in his heights may he make peace upon us and upon all israel then it says in galatians 3 26 So in Mashiach Yeshua, you are all children of God through faith. Okay, that completely just destroyed the idea that Galatians teaches us to be anti-Torah. Just saying. So if you're in Mashiach Yeshua, then you by default become a child of God. You by default become a Jew. Good night. And um, Romans 8, 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. See, being led by the Spirit is walking in Torah observance. That's how you're led by the Spirit. Okay, and we'll end it right here. Bereshit 33.5. 
Then Asaph looked up and saw the women and the children. Who are these with you? He asked. Yaakov answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Offspring of Yaakov are called children of God. And I know this verse says the children that God has given me. But if you look at the Ivrit, it literally says that Hayeladim Asher Hanan Elohim et Abdeka. So the children Asher Hanan, the children that make Hanan, which is grace. And then it says Elohim, so grace of God. So children that make the grace of God, the children who are the grace of God. And if you think about Asher Kitshanu, like who sanctifies us, you can literally read Asher Kanan as who graces us. So we're children who graces us. God. Basically, you read that phrase. So I'm in Bereshit 33.5 again. That's where I'm at. And then, um, you know, Asher Hanan, the first letters of that is Ach, which is brother. And remember, if we're in our brother, Mashiach, then we're called children of God. And then the last letters of that is Nair, which is lamp or torch or candle. And remember, the candle of Hashem is the soul of man. And remember, Mashiach Yeshua himself is a nair, and the nair is a branch of the menorah. And remember, we're all branches and one vine, which is the picture of the menorah. It's a single stalk with branches sprouting from it. And that is what the foundation stone has. It has seven channels that flow from it into the land of Israel. And so, yeah. From a single stock, we have all these branches, i.e. from Yaakov, B'nai Yisrael, B'nai Elohim. And so, Yeladim Asher Hanan Elohim. So, what do we know? What do we know? Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Bachar Banu Mikol HaMim Slika, that was completely wrong. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet Vechaye Olam Natabetocheinu Baruch Atah Adonai Noten HaTorah Amen May we merit to see the return of Mashiach Yeshua speedily and soon in our days Shalom This is Shomer Man signing out